This is How We See It, a look at issues that impact our faith and community. For the next few minutes, we'll explore topics with people who are making a difference in our world. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney. Our guests today are Becky Moultrie and Diane Hale. They are from St. Gianna Center. I have so many questions for you, so let's just jump right in, okay? First of all, good morning to you both. Good morning. So thank you. Uh, Becky is the executive director at St. Gianna Center, and Diane is the director of education. Tell us first, Becky, St. Gianna. I'm sure a lot of people have heard her name, but what is she really known for? So St. Gianna Brenna Mola was an Italian physician. She was a pediatrician and a family physician in the 20th century Italy, and she was both a mother and a physician. And St. Gianna made one of the greatest sacrifices a mom could make. When she was pregnant with her fourth child, it was determined that there were some complications with the pregnancy and that she had a growth in her uterus. Is that correct? Yeah, she had a tumor. And physicians were recommending to her that she terminate the pregnancy so that they could remove that tumor. And she said, nope. I'm not going to let this baby die. Being a physician, she knew what the complications could be to her life. She knew that her life was on on the edge here, as well as the life of her baby. So she made the decision to continue the pregnancy, have the tumor removed, which it was successfully removed. She carried the baby to full term, but she knew in her heart that something wasn't right. If you look at her writings, she talks about how she had conversations with her husband prior to delivery saying, if something happens, save the baby. It's not about me. It's about this baby. She did carry the baby to full term. She delivered a beautiful baby girl. And unfortunately, a couple days later, she developed an infection. At that time, antibiotics aren't what they are today. And she did pass. But it was very important to her that that child, that she was willing to sacrifice everything for the life of that child. And people in her town that she had treated as as their physician and she had taken care of their children talked about her self-sacrifice. She never turned away a patient because of lack of ability to pay. She was that mom, that doctor who was always there for her community. And she was always there for her children. And so she's the model for us as women today that you can be a professional and at the same time raise a family and have that self-sacrificing love. One of the things that your center works with is natural family planning. And I can remember decades ago, that used to be sort of like a joke to people. They would make fun of the Catholic Church because of supporting natural family planning, but my wife and I actually went through the course, and it's, if you want to get to know your wife, you go through that course, man, and, and it will change your life. It really is a great program. Tell us, Diane, a little bit about natural family planning, and how is it different from what it was 30 years ago? The difference today is that we teach each of our couples a new language, and it's a beautiful language. It's the language of the female fertility, and once they learn to understand that language, understand this profound gift of fertility that we've all been given. It's actually the second biggest gift we've ever been given. We've been given our life as the first great gift. 
And then we've been given the profound gift of the ability to procreate and bring new life into the world. Once they get that understanding, it solidifies a tremendous ability to communicate with one another on a level they've never known before and to understand the gift of fertility that it truly is as they never have before. Becky, can you talk a little bit about birth control pills? Does St. Gianna's Center really get involved with teaching people about birth control pills and some of the negative side effects that can be received from using them? Right. So one of the things we really focus on is fertility appreciation, that fertility is a gift in marriage. And fertility is not a disease. Unfortunately, in our current medical society, they look at a woman's fertility as something that has to be prescribed away. And that's what the birth control pill does, is it negates a woman's fertility. And we teach that fertility is not a disease. It's something to be appreciated and to be worked with. Some of these medications used for birth control can actually cause abortions, can't they? They can. And the reason I know that is my journey of learning about the Creighton Model fertility care system that we teach started with me learning about that. I had used the pill, my husband and I had been on contraceptives for the first seven years of our marriage. We were married in the Catholic Church, but we never were truly catechized to understand the church's teaching on why not to contracept. And I remember watching a program on EWTN and the person being interviewed said, if you're taking the pill, pull out the insert, the little product inserts that come in your birth control package and read in there. And one of the things it does disclose is that birth control can be an abortifacient. If a woman still produces an egg and that egg is fertilized, what happens very often with the pill is the lining of the uterus isn't complete and doesn't allow the acceptance of the embryo to be implanted. And at that point, that little fetus is expunged out of the body through her flow. And that's an abortifacient. And I think a lot of people don't realize that the birth control pill can do that. And that was one of those aha moments for me in my journey. Diane, do you ever work with post-abortive couples? Yes, quite frequently. There's more of that than most of us realize. It's a prism of problems that is created because of the choice of aborting a baby. And it has its effect on the man and the woman in huge amounts of effects. So yes, we deal with them. We teach them just like we teach everyone else. And we also teach them that there is nothing that God cannot forgive, nothing. So they need to look into their souls as a couple and forgive themselves. Who are we not to forgive ourselves when God forgives and forgets? God wants healing. He wants healing. Can you talk a little bit about fertility issues for couples? What are some of the treatments that you offer at Gianna Center? When we teach the couple to chart, We've been well-trained to understand what that charting should look like, and we also are quick to find situations that need help through the charting. And as soon as we see them, we have medical consultants in the area 
who have been trained with Creighton to read the charts and to understand the charts, then we refer them as quickly as possible to these medical consultants who then can order what we call targeted hormone testing, and they target their testing and their treatment to the individual. We don't have templates that every woman is supposed to have ovulation on the 14th day of her cycle. We follow their charts as their individual story. We're talking with Becky Moultrie, the executive director, and Diane Hale, the director of education for St. Gianna's Center. Becky, what do you say to a couple that can't be helped by these treatments? Some couples just can't conceive. Yes, and that is something that happens. And there are alternatives for couples that can't conceive. We refer them to adoption agencies. Mm -hmm. Adoption is an option, yes. Absolutely. The foster system. That's huge, actually, in this area. There's a real shortage of foster families. Yes. Yes. And so for those couples, fruitfulness in marriage can mean many different things. Yes, it does often mean the fruitfulness of children, but there's other ways that a couple can be fruitful within the community, not just in offspring of children. And so we try to point them to those other resources. I think sometimes our resource list is much more plentiful than even what we do for couples every day. We refer them out to so many other different resources within the community. So this isn't just some sort of hodgepodge of science. You have medical experts. How can people know that when they come to St. Gianna's Center, they're working with medical experts in that field and not, say, somebody like a podiatrist who works on feet and really wouldn't know about fertility issues? To become a Creighton Model Fertility Care Practitioner requires at least 13 months of education, at least. Interns come to us for a nine-day total immersion classroom setting, and then they have a six-month period of time in which they do assignments, and they have to acquire six of their own clients I, as their supervisor, am in their back pocket. They never see these people without my direct supervision. Then they come back after they've done those assignments and gained those six clients. They come back for a six-day total immersion classroom experience to learn the advanced case managements, six more months of internship, six more clients. Then they have an on-site visit from the supervisor who goes through all their files, watches them do the introductory session, watches them do a follow-up, and then they have to get six more clients within the 13 months, and then they sit for a six-hour national proctored exam. And you're an RN yourself, right? I am. Okay. Becky, tell us how someone can get involved and how can we learn more about St. Gianna Center? Well, number one, you can learn more about us at our website. It's stgiannacenter.com. That's S-T-G-I-A-N-N-A. C-E-N-T-E-R.com. Where we need help probably the most right now is we need more fertility care practitioners in the Diocese of St. Petersburg. So we are looking for women that are interested in learning more about teaching the Creighton model of fertility care. Like Diane mentioned, the program is a 13-month intensive program. It's not for the shy. It's, it's a big commitment. There's also a financial component to that. And so we are looking for scholarship funds. We are looking for donations to help fund those women 
that are going through this program. And then finally, not only do we have this education program, we also take care of couples here locally. So we have fertility care practitioners here locally that we support. And sometimes our couples can't afford the consultation fee, but we still want to compensate our fertility care practitioners. So there's a shortfall there. So any donations are always greatly appreciated so that we can make sure that our fertility care practitioners are making a fair consultation fee for those who can't pay the full. And that's really in light of St. Gianna and back to the spirit of St. Gianna is that she never turned away a couple or a family that was needing care, and neither do we at the St. Gianna Center. Becky, thank you. And Diane, thank you to you as well. Thank you. Our guests today, Becky Moultrie and Diane Hale from St. Gianna Center. And this is How We See It. You're listening to How We See It, a look at issues and ministries that are having an impact in our community and world. If you missed any of today's program, you'll find a copy on Spirit FM's SoundCloud page. There's a link to it at myspiritfm.com. Now, back to our program. This is How We See It. I'm Deacon Mike Sweeney, and our guest today is Michael Raposa. Michael is the CEO of St. Vincent de Paul Cares. Good morning to you, Michael. Hey, good morning, and it's great to be here, and thank you for having us. Thank you for coming in. There is a pretty substantial problem of homelessness in Tampa Bay. Can you tell me how St. Vincent de Paul Cares is helping to ease some of that burden? Well, in conjunction with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and part of that, we've been working for over 50 years in the Tampa Bay area on the issue. And the way we see this crisis is probably a little bit different and probably along the lines of your faithful when we look at the infancy narrative and, and we look every time I pass a manger scene, I remember that Christ himself came into the world as a homeless person, and at least by HUD standard. And our organization really, really works hard to actually end homelessness for the people that we work with. And we've made great strides over time, especially working with the veteran population and the veterans here in Tampa Bay. We've reduced that number down by more than half in most of the communities where we're working. The only solution to this is housing and permanent housing. And our goal is one by one to embrace these families and embrace these individuals and get them into housing sooner than later. Can you tell us the difference? What is the difference between rapid housing and permanent supportive housing, which you offer? So we offer both. So rapid rehousing is ability to take a homeless family or a homeless individual off the street and move them into permanent housing really quickly. 30 days is the goal. Permanent supportive housing is more of the unit where some of these people may go. It's an apartment or a home that they're able to stay in for as long as they would like or as long as they can support it. But the supportive piece of it means that there's wraparound services once they're housed in the housing. Talk about staffing in your office. I would imagine you probably rely on volunteers quite a bit, don't you? So we have a fair number of volunteers at our center in St. Petersburg, particularly in the feeding arm and at our thrift stores across the diocese. We hire a large number of case managers. I believe that the social work that they do is probably the hardest of the social work that's out there. We meet these people in homelessness at their most broken point in their lives. You know, there's a huge misnomer out there that somehow, some way that people are choosing to be homeless and nothing could be further from the truth. You know, sometimes there's prevailing diseases or prevailing illnesses with mental health 
that may appear that way, but it's important to remember that it's the disease that's looking that way, not the individual. And when we break through those barriers and get to the heart and soul of the people we serve, we discover that everybody wants a home. Is there a common thread that you see in general in homelessness populations, age, gender, upbringing, anything like that? So it does not discriminate based on any of those things. The alarming thing for us in the Tampa Bay area is that because of the price, and it isn't just here, but across the country, but here in the Tampa metro area, we're especially seeing it. The price of rental housing, it's stabilized, but it's stabilized at a rate that's two or three times what it was two or three years ago. There are a lot of our elderly population that are now being priced out because a landlord may have held rent for someone at the same rate for four or five or six years is now waking up and realizing that they could get double the money. So the largest demographic that we are seeing in inflow is the aged population over the age of 70. Many of them have never needed services before, but they're being displaced because of the rental market. Are they actually ending up on the streets? Some are, sadly. We do our best. We've prioritized age as a critical and medical uh, incidence as a critical intake for us. Most of the communities where we work also agree that they should come first, but there are some that unfortunately do end up on the street. Usually if they reach out for help as soon as it's happening, we or partnering agencies can intercede. Pride is a very, very powerful thing, and there's no shame in needing help and no shame in asking for help. The sooner we know and the sooner we can get help, usually the easier it is to solve it. It's like anything else. If you wait long enough, the problem just gets worse and worse and worse. I was on a kayak in the Alifaya River last year, maybe. And as I passed underneath just a highway bridge, there were tents set up where I can't tell you how many people were living underneath the bridge. It's probably a lot. And that encampment factor is becoming more and more common, not particularly in huge metro areas like the city of Tampa or the city of St. Petersburg. But when you get into the surrounding area in the less densely populated area, people out of desperation are setting up in places like that. We're working to get coordinated outreach out there and and try to connect them. But sadly enough that people are resorting to that. We had at my parish, we had a homeless man who was kind of hanging around the parish for, I would say, a month, maybe even more. And my heart was tugging at me. My heart said, you know what, you're, you're not using your tent. You haven't used it for years. Give it to him. But then I had somebody that works for the church said, no, you're enabling and you're not going to help that person in the end. So what do you say as someone who works with a homeless population? What do you do? Because your heart's being pulled, but at the same time, you want to really help them. The best gift that we as Christians and the faithful can do is to try to connect them to services as soon as possible. If there is regular contact or a regular conversation or some form of a rapport over a cup of coffee and a donut or some type of food, the people can help engage with the client. The object of the game is to get the client into the established services and into the established help. Sometimes that I call it an ex parte gift, like reaching into your pocket and and handing someone cash. Sadly enough, if they are battling a disease like addiction, that only fuels and it does keep them further away from actually getting help. 
part of the biggest battle in this war that we face is actually convincing people to come in and to get the help that's available to them and to do it. And again, it's not the person, the individual heart and soul of the person that is refusing the help. Oftentimes there's a mental health overlay, whether that be alcohol or drug addiction or some form of depression or acute medical illness that is affecting their brain. You're competing with the illness in trying to get them the message. What we see is that if we can break through that glass or break through that illness and get them to get in and get help, within a very short period on proper medication, they become an entirely different person, usually within 10 days. That's amazing. 10 days and you can turn a life around. Yeah, because what happens is that the proper combination of medicine slows the brain function down and the noise in the brain becomes lower and they're able to focus. And also, I think it helps relieve the fear because most homeless Many people are afraid of homeless on the street. And to be honest with you, most of their interaction with law enforcement is a victim, not as a perpetrator of crime. They're generally gentle souls. You know, I think one of the things that separates St. Vincent de Paul apart from many other social services that work with this population is that we believe that when we look into the eyes of the poor And when we look into the eyes of a homeless poor, and and there's a difference there, we actually see Christ. We actually see an image of our maker that's right before us. And a core foundation of St. Vincent de Paul's beliefs comes from that gospel of Matthew. When have you done this? You know, to the least of my brother, you've done it unto me. In my staff, in our leadership, we really take this seriously. We feel that we work for them. So tell us, how can somebody help St. Vincent de Paul Cares? Do you collect donations? Can somebody volunteer their time? They can always go to our website. I will tell you that 92 cents of every dollar that comes into St. Vincent de Paul Cares goes directly to the client in client services. Our overhead is less than 8%. 8% is a roundup. It's actually less than 8%. And There aren't too many not-for-profit agencies, even here in the Tampa Bay area, that can say that they function with that tight belt. So you can visit us at www.svdp.care. You can drop stuff off at most of the thrift stores throughout the Tampa Bay area with the St. Vincent de Paul name on it. And we really rely on the kindness and the generosity of the public, but especially your listeners, because for those of us who are Catholic and or Christian, it is part of our calling to do this work. Mm, See the face of Jesus in the homeless. We have to see the face of Jesus in all that we come in contact with. Our guest today is Michael Raposa from St. Vincent de Paul Cares, and this is How We See It. Thanks for listening to today's program. This presentation and others like it are made possible by supporters like you. If you'd like a copy of today's program, make comments or suggestions, and to help us keep this important programming on the air, visit myspiritfm.com slash howwesee it.